Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Benzinga's Cannabis Insider Podcast, where we know, uh, you know, we, we dive into the fast evolving universe of cannabis. And uh, as you know, uh, if you're looking for the latest updates and insights from cannabis industry leaders, then welcome. You're on the right spot. As you've been seeing in the last episodes, I'm going to be your host today. Uh, my name is Pato Little. And uh, to anyone keen on cannabis industry trends, I promise you another very interesting interview today. So let's get started. All right, so uh, today we are thrilled to have Brett Gelbert, a distinguished business attorney from uh, the Kimas Labor and Employment Group. Uh, Brett, uh, Brett is renowned for his practical and efficient guidance to employers in the cannabis industry, tackling with a wide range of uh, workforce-related issues. Um, his experience covers uh, employment discrimination, wrongful termination, non-competition agreements, and trade secret, uh, secrets protection. So uh, fasten your seatbelts and let's get started. Hello, Brad. Welcome to Cannabis Insider. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Pato. It's nice to be here. All right. And actually, I, I've been covering for Benzinga and also reading um, about some very interesting topics related to your field of expertise. So um, really interesting in hearing your, your insights. Um, to get started, I, I wanted to hear your vision of the industry evolution and, and how, has, uh, how have employment law uh, challenges, sorry, how, how have employment law challenges uh, in the cannabis industry evolved over the last decade? Well, I think when I first started um, talking to a lot of the companies in the in the in the Michigan market in particular, um, people were so focused on compliance with the regulatory burdens, um, you know, in place from the state at a, on a cannabis licensing side, that a lot of the other obligations that an employer might have kind of fell to the wayside. So, I don't think people were really even thinking about having uh, the proper kind of employment policies in place. Uh, you know, do you have an employee handbook? Those kinds of things. I think really all kind of uh, didn't get the attention that they needed. What I'm seeing now is um, I think a lot of the more successful operators uh, have kind of hit their stride in terms of maybe moving out of that startup phase and into a more established, uh, you know, running a more established business. And they're starting to now check a lot of those boxes that um, that had kind of gone either unchecked or maybe half checked before. So um, I'm seeing much, much higher quality in terms of employment agreements with your, you know, kind of, C-suite level people or like, you know, your head grower. Um, and I'm seeing, uh, you know, employee handbooks that are actually not just pulled from, you know, some template online, but actually have had some thought put into them. So, right. yeah, I would say it's, I would say it's trending in the right direction. <clears throat> and um, I think also some of the employment, um, employment related sort of state regulators are taking a closer look as well at the space mm -hmm. now. Um, just, I think, I don't know, it was this week or last week, but um, Michigan's version of OSHA, the sort of workplace safety um, government agency, um, they released a uh, specific fact sheet um, specifically for 
employers in the cannabis space in Michigan, you know, focusing on workplace health and safety issues that, you know, really need to be taken, taken into account. Yeah. Exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned like the first of the Michigan case and, and uh, in this context of, I don't know, I think we can call it fa fluctuating um, regulatory environment. Uh, how, how do you, in, I mean, in what ways uh, do you see state and federal regulations impacting uh, employment practices within the cannabis industry? Well, I think at the federal level, I think, you know, obviously the conversation is always under the shadow of the fact that it's still a federally illegal substance. Um, but that doesn't mean that the federal employment laws don't apply. So if you get to 50 or more employees, then you've got to have a, you know, FLSA, um, I'm sorry, FLMA, Family, uh, Family Medical Leave Act um, compliant sort of leave program. So if somebody if, if you're if you're an employer of that size and you don't have those policies in place and, and you deny someone a request for you know unpaid medical leave, um, you could find yourself in hot water with the federal government on an employment issue, which, you know, I don't think a lot of a lot of operators in the cannabis spaces are something that they ever would have really thought about um, five years ago. So. I'm sorry, Pado, I can't hear you. Oh, sorry. I don't know why I was muted. Sorry. So I, I was going to ask if you can uh, maybe give us an example of a complex uh, employment issue you helped um, a cannabis client navigate. Well, sure. I mean, we had a, um, and this is a nice kind of intersection just between business and employment law in the cannabis space. You know, we had a client um, who was who was growing, uh, you know, growing their business. Uh, they had a, of a, a, you know, pretty, pretty large size grow operation and they had a head grower um, who was subject to an employment agreement, um, you know, kind of at the, you know, a, a higher level employee employment agreement. And um, it just, the relationship kind of deteriorated between the grower and the owner of the company. And um, eventually the, um, the employee was terminated, but not until after he had, um, and this was a new one. <laughs> That's the fun part about employment law is people do all sorts of interesting things and you get to hear about it. <laughs> um, so this this gentleman in particular um, made a report to to the cannabis regulatory agency that the scales in the grow facility had not been um, properly assessed by the state's weight and measures um, authority. So, you know, people people don't really realize this. I, I didn't, I didn't even really realize this, but there's a state, all the state, each of the states have their own weights and measures authorities. So when you go to the, the gas station and there's a, a sticker on the gas station, that's a seal. It says, this has been approved by so-and-so county weights and measures. And so it's like official by the government. This is dispensing the exact amount of volume of gas that it says it's dispensing. Right. So um, for, for any type of thing that's sold by weight, you're supposed to have scales that have that sticker on it. So someone's supposed to come out and put the sticker on it. So, and you're supposed to buy scales that are approved. So this, this particular gentleman made a call to the, to the CRA to say, we don't have appropriate stickers. Um, this was just an oversight. It was corrected as soon as it was brought to the attention of the business owner. Um, but after this gentleman was terminated, he tried to claim that um, he shouldn't have been terminated because he was a whistleblower. He blew the whistle about the 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 scales <laughs> in the right. in 
uh, in this grow facility, um, which which was an issue, like I said, that was corrected immediately and was really just an oversight. Um, and so we had to kind of wade through because once once from an employment law standpoint, once someone brings up a whistleblower claim, the potential damages that the employer is exposed to are kind of dramatically increased um, as opposed to just an employment contract where maybe you get, you know, the amount of the contract that you were owed going forward and has a cutoff. Um, it's you know much more easy to uh, you know compute what those damages might be. But when you get into um, whistleblower claims, you have emotional damages and those kinds of pain and suffering things that you can you can potentially be exposed to. So it went from what it took what should have been a pretty straightforward dispute over you know just contract pay and maybe a bonus to a whole nother level for the employer, a whole lot more exposure. So yeah, that was interesting for them. That's for sure. Yeah, of course. I, and, and yeah, I, I understand now what you mean with all kind of strange things. And <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, is this related to trade secrets? Uh, I mean, can you give us a little explanation on what trade, I mean, what, what uh, does the, the term trade secrets refer to and uh, discuss a little bit on the importance of protecting these trade secrets in the cannabis sector and, oh, sure. and maybe also the legal mechanisms for doing so? Yeah, so, so trade secrets is an interesting part of um, employment law in general because, you know, um, you need certain employees to understand what your, you know, what the proprietary information is about your company that makes it profitable, that gives it a competitive edge. Um, but, you know, once these people know it, it's not really a secret anymore. And if they leave and go to another uh, company, then it puts your, you know, the, the, the information or the methods or the business practices that you've developed on your own that, like I said, give your business kind of a competitive edge that you've invested a lot of money and time into, um, you know, if they take that to your competitor, then, you know, that's generally considered to be kind of unfair competition. Um, and so, you know, the legal methods for protecting that are typically uh, in in within an employment agreement, you would have clauses protecting confidential and trade secret information. Um, there are non-compete, uh, non-compete agreements, which are coming under some uh, some fire right now at, at the federal level. Um, there have been a couple of uh, suggestions from different bodies within the federal government that that trade secret that um, non-compete agreements might become unenforceable in the next year or two. We're still kind of operating as if they're enforceable because that hasn't happened yet. But um, that is one method for protecting your trade secrets. And, you know, for example, um, uh, you know, trade secret is basically anything that has uh, economic value that you have created as a business owner um, that gives you a competitive edge. That's kind of a simplified version of it. But you know, if you are a um, if you are a manufacturer and you've come up with some sort of uh, workflow that takes something that usually takes 30 hours to do and you can get it done in 15 at, at just the same high level of quality, whatever those steps are that you use to kind of streamline that process, that could be considered a trade secret. And it, and it could also be something as simple as a customer list. Customer lists can be considered trade secrets if it has if it's not just the names of customers, but if you've got um, you know, contact information, who, who is the person at this uh, customer who you do business with information about um, like the life cycle of the contract. Let's say you have a you have a, um, a relationship with a uh, with a retailer. You're let's say you're let's say you're a grower. You have a relationship with a retailer and, you know, you sell them X number of pounds and, and, and you can you, on, a, on, a, on a monthly basis and you've given it to them at this price and you know, that come three weeks into the month, they're, they're going to start asking you about, you know, what are we going to order for, for next month? Right. Um, you know, so those kinds of 
timing and price things in relation to a, to a customer, those would definitely be considered trade secrets because somebody goes to a competitor with that knowledge and they know that the third week of the month, you know, um, right. you know, this shop is going to be looking to, to re, re up and you can get ahead of them on the phone call. That's, that's, you know, exactly. yeah. So, and the way that those are enforced is typically through lawsuits. You know, you would sue, uh, if you know, if you have an employee who you think has who's left and you think is using your trade secrets against you, um, you would go to court and you need to move quickly for these things because what you ask the court for is something called injunctive relief, uh, which is where the court that you know you can't do this anymore, person. You need to stop what you're doing, um, and the court typically only grants that in circumstances where there's real urgency and there's a real threat of uh, imminent irreparable harm. So if you sit on your hands as a as a as an employer and you think that maybe something's going on, but you're not totally sure, you know, and you let a week, a month, two months, four months go by, it's going to be a lot harder for your lawyers to explain to the judge why this is an emergency and you need uh, an order stopping this person from essentially working. Um, right. You know, so that's something that we counsel uh, pretty regularly across industries. Um, you, you need to kind of act quickly if you're dealing with a trade secret issue. Yeah. Right. That was very clear. Uh, thank you. And now I wanted to ask you about uh, um, a growing trend uh, we're we're seeing in the cannabis industry that is basically the, uni the unionization efforts. Um, mm. So how is the growing trend of unionization within the cannabis industry impacting employment law and, and maybe also employer uh, employee relations and, and maybe what are the legal implications for for business for for Kansas businesses? Sure. So unionization has gotten a lot of attention in the past year with some high profile uh, some high profile um, unionizations at Amazon and Starbucks, and so there's a lot more interest in um, in unionization right now, and it's happening sort of slowly in in Michigan and in some other states. There are some retail locations that have been unionized here. Um, and, you know, I think that it really depends on the attitude of the business owner. Some business owners are more union friendly than others. Um, some business owners try to operate a, a um, workplace environment that is really pleasant and rewarding for the workforce that people feel that they're uh, that they have a voice. People feel that they're well paid, um, that they have the respect that they deserve as the workers. Um, and, and when you have that, uh, oftentimes it's difficult for a union to get a foothold because, you know, the, the union, um, the union reps who come out, who try to, uh, you know, get everybody on board with the unionization effort. Uh -huh. It's hard for them to do that if the, if the workforce doesn't really have any complaints, you know, because, right. because what are the things that the unions usually promise? It's, you know, you're going to get better wages. You're going to have more of a say. You're going to have, um, um, you know, you're going to have more of a voice. And if you already have those things, then why invite a union in? Then you have to pay dues and, you know, uh, this or that. So but, um, you know, on the flip side, uh, it can be a positive thing for some workforces. And like I said, some employers are, are um, you know, pro-union. An interesting aspect of it is that at least here in Michigan, um, agricultural workers uh, are not subject to the protections of the laws that uh, that allow for union organizing. And so, and, that, and that's the case in many, in many, if not all states. Um, and so workers who are in, on the grow side, um, depending on how involved they are in the cultivation versus say 
like packaging for sale, depending on where in the in the workflow they are, they might not be able to unionize. I mean, they could unionize, but they could also get fired for trying. Um, right, in case they are considered like agricultural workers. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's it's interesting. It's definitely like you said at the top, pretty quickly evolving landscape for employers. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, to wrap up and make you one last question that is uh, very maybe one of the most interesting ones is regarding the future. Yeah. Uh, how how do you see for the future that the biggest challenge is coming ahead and, and maybe also the opportunities in the cannabis industry maybe for the next five years? Well, I mean, in terms of, um, for you know, from an employment standpoint, I think um, a big thing that's that's changing in addition to the sort of inability for employers potentially to 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 use non-competition agreements uh, going forward is um, there is a there is a I'm sorry, I just my train just went off the track there. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, basically seeing the future and, and, and what do you see for coming here in terms of uh, yeah, I mean, challenges and opportunities in the cannabis industry uh, related right. to your expertise? Right, right. So um, so I think what's happening in the future, what, what will be happening is you just you're going to have a more um, a more sophisticated workforce, um, I think, as we have people I think you, you, you've always had the sort of legacy market grow folks um, who know who know the way around a grow operation. Um, but I think we're going to we're going to see a much more sophisticated uh, workforce in terms of skill and experience, because you're going to have five years from now, the, the market in Michigan will be 10 years old and you'll have people who've been working as a bud tender for 10 years. And that's not a sort of category of employee that we've had before. And so. It's an interesting skill set that those folks are going to have. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if you find yourself looking at a sort of new category of business, even where you've got, uh, you know, bud tender training programs or bud tender, like, you know, sort of consultancies, um, you know, on the retail side with people who, you know, with people who can take that experience and help 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 the businesses operating in the space step up their game. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that. Exactly. No, that, that's very interesting. Yes, uh, this is definitely a subject that we'll be hearing more about, uh, as you said, as uh, more cannabis, uh, I mean, as, as the industry develops more and we have even newer roles within the industry and right. uh, and the roles we have now are more evolved. So, yes, exactly. Uh, this was a, a very interesting conversation. I'm really grateful for, for your time and uh, hope to, to see you soon in another episode. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And as you know, uh, my name is Pato Little. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we'll be back very soon with more updates on Cannabis Insider.